Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Honest Retail. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what episode we're on, so I'm not going to highlight it like I usually do in the intro. I think we're on 36 or 37. Uh, it's my fault for not doing the, the background work for this episode, but excited to be joined, as always, from Taylor and CJ. We do have a lot of guests uh, scheduled for November and December, uh, some heavy hitters, uh, so we're super excited about that. Uh, outside of the, the small technical difficulties, how is uh, everybody doing today? CJ, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm finally back in San Francisco. I was traveling a lot. Um, yeah, bear, bear with me if my computer just dies on this because it died on me four times just trying to, to get into the Zoom. <laughs> uh, Taylor, how are you doing? I'm happy it's Tuesday. Monday was, it felt very much like a Monday. And today, I'm hoping it feels a little less like a Monday, more like a Tuesday. So I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm usually, Tuesday is usually my least favorite day of the week because, like, I don't mind Monday because I'm ramping back up. And Tuesday is, like, like, more of the oh shit day of the week for me than Monday. But it's, been, <laughs> it's definitely been a better Tuesday than, than Monday this week, um, for sure. Um, Taylor, um, CJ, CJ let us know there's no brands he really could highlight this week. But me and Taylor... I did get introduced to a few new brands last week. Thanks for uh, just throwing me under the bus, Cam. Yeah. <laughs> C- CJ- <laughs> he just completely failed on his job, so uh, he can go find himself. <laughs> CJ, as someone who's dialed into CPG and investor, and definitely I know that we've sent him at least 10 products over the last week uh, to his yeah. office. Has not tried anything. Uh, but, <laughs> but moving on to me and Taylor. Uh, so we had a pitch competition uh, last week on WeStock. And um, we, got, we got a bunch of samples and I think a lot of brands that Taylor probably wouldn't usually try a lot of functional stuff. Uh, so t- Taylor, what, uh, any brands that kind of stood out? Taylor's just at while? peak health right now. Like she's replaced her, her diet of Listerine strips and like. And I can't like, believe it's not butter spray. Yeah. I feel like, thank you, Cam. You've made me now feel like a full human. I, I now a week later after eating vegan tzatziki, I feel rejuvenated. There you go. Um, You're like that meme with like the brain, like <laughs> like continuously gets like more and more enlightened, and like now you're at your final stage <laughs> yeah. of peak enlightenment. She just um, finds herself reading like just only like Buddhist koans. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to start looking at the back of ingredients on labels. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No. Um, I'm not, no offense. Um, I really loved, okay, a female founder of this Freestyle Snacks. Um, a lot of people really liked the company. Um, I loved it. Uh, so Freestyle Snacks seems to have like these all natural, it says grown in Greece, olives. Uh, again, very camish, not tailorish. However, I like the concept of uh, just like kind of uh, ready to go olives. I do like olives a lot. I think a lot of people like olives. What I liked most about it, which I had talked with the founder about is I've always had this idea, random fun fact, like I love dive bars. And one of the reasons my favorite is Spring Lounge. If you know, you know, in Lori, in well, Soho, Nolita, whatever. They have like Fritos, again, not cam friendly, but Fritos, Doritos, Cheetos, whatever. I love having bar snacks. I think it's really important. I think it's a, the one of the most like 
on over like underrated things ever. I think people have like random shit at these bars. So when I saw the olives, my, my head went less to like a B2C play, which I know she's focused on, but more like, can she roll out like a series of olives and kind of artisanal pretzels and chips, like, and then go from a B2B play and be like a way better option for like the Levi restaurant groups of the world and stuff. And she's like already thinking about it. So loved the concept, but less like even just like from a direct to consumer B2C front and more like, can she become, if she expands this, like the new kind of like higher end uh, bar like group of like bar snack options, uh, which would be so nice. Cause I think, uh, you know, other than a few really nice bars and restaurants I've been to globally, it's lacking. So it's my diatribe of the day. Yeah, no, I, uh, I liked, um, I definitely like that branding and stuff. I was, I thought that the like uh, category was a little bit smaller, but I liked that she was going after like calling it freestyle snacking. So she kind of had some other stuff like in the pipeline, which would be cool. I, I do like bar snacks. I love like those wasabi balls or whatever they are. Like those things are awesome. Uh, so I'm a, I, I say that those things are awesome. Like I've definitely not consumed one in like 10 years, but now I have like a hand like, yeah, for it. Was the last time? I was like, what was the last time you had wasabi peas or wasabi nuts or whatever those things are? Every, every right. Friday night I leave my family, I go to a dive bar and I just, I start freebasing the the wasabi peas for sure um but yeah no I, the event was really good freestyle um was awesome um i liked that prickly beverage which i think i've talked about on here before i thought that was really good um some you know classics like leisure and perfy that i think we've talked about on the show too um two brands that we didn't have uh, so actually one person was a judge on the pitch competition which was isabel over at loopy she just launched a lupini bean pasta and so i have three of those boxes upstairs so i'm gonna try i'm excited to try that out because i am a big fan of the bonza product um and so i'm excited to see kind of if there's a different um bean pasta that i can be all about because uh, that would be nice to get into the rotation. And then the other one was, I haven't tried it yet, but this is like definitely like the furthest end of the spectrum of like functional foods I've ever had, which is like, uh, it was a, a brand that sent me a bunch of samples because they're about to join the platform. It's called Planet-Based Foods. And they sent me hemp-based taquitos, which I was like, oh, this is like the, like definitely the most <laughs> hardcore. This is like, uh, like, like CJ, we were texting back and forth about like the dark night rises and like the, like I was, I was born in the darkness. <laughs> and like, you, like, that's like me, like just flexing on anybody of like, oh yeah, I just tried this snack. And be like, oh yeah, I just ordered some hemp-based taquitos. Yeah, like I, that. I, I like <laughs> the snack boys will lose their mind. Like, yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah, Andrea's over there just like, yeah, hemp-based taquitos. <laughs> Like, that's it yeah that, that could be even out of her depth uh like plant-based taquitos but uh i was like a very uh portly young uh and teenager and and uh i used to eat a lot of taquitos back in the day and so i'm excited to try a healthier taquito i have not tried them yet uh so i'll report next back next week on how those are and if my toddler is also uh, getting involved in that action. But um, yeah, those were the brands that kind of caught my eye. Haven't tried them yet, but excited to, to test it out. Taylor, what did you think about that beverage parch? Did you get to try in that? I did. Um, I think they're, I, so I know Illa and the team pretty well. Um, we have kind of similar comparable backgrounds. Um, I actually was fortunate enough to get that product, I think about almost a year ago in like sample vials. Um, when they were very much in kind of the R&D phase. And I think it's gotten a lot better. I think they have a really good product. I think it's interesting because 
they are now obviously in a very, very saturated market. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of like the adoption of the product, but I love, 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 if you guys haven't seen the packaging, the, the design, the packaging is be beautiful. Um, and I like the liquid. I like the liquid a lot more now that it's kind of in market. So we'll see how it does. You know, again, it's, it's, it, it, there are a lot of factors that go into it. I think from like on that side of things, on the non-elk side of things, it's, I think we've talked about it on the pod, but like it's so subjective, right? Like every single person, like I may try it and then I may absolutely love it. And some may be like, this is absolutely not for me. Um, given that it's kind of like this whole new uncharted territory and things are being innovated and de-alkalized and created in real time, I don't foresee, I think everyone's just gonna have their, what I call like their go-to kind of swaps or alternatives. Um, so yeah, I think she, I think they did a great job and love the packaging. I see they've done some great work so far initially getting out there from like a distribution perspective. So as I'll do a cam, it'll be interesting to see how the product does moving forward. Yeah, two, yeah. two quick things, Cam, because I, I thought one of the things that Isabella over at Loopy did that was so smart is she, she put two different types of, of basically ingredients for, for that, that Loopy pasta on amazon and just allowed the comments to make the decision for her like i i think that i think that's like low-key brilliant you know just to say hey you know we've got one with a like a slightly stronger stabilizer that might give it a little bit more of a like a kind of a you know an al dente paste feel and the other one doesn't have it and you know rather than trying to ask someone what they think about an ingredient she just put them both out, both out there and let the comments guide you know the you know the full-on experience and that's that, that, that to me was one of, the, one of the smartest things I've seen recently. And then on the whole um, hemp taquitos, like I'm starting to become wildly convinced that the better for you movement is, is less important than the barely better for you movement. Um, and like, as far as like monetizing over, over we'll call the short term. Um, and I don't know if hemp taquitos fits in there, but I think this will go into a little bit on some of those you know, the new whole food trends is like that one seems to be getting really big. Like, you know, anything from those, like those chubby snacks that now have like the, the you know, the better for you Nutella, like that, that's, that's better for you than eating at Uncrustables with real Nutella in it, but it's, it's more than it's barely better for you. And I think that seems to be where a lot of the investable opportunities are. Yeah. I want to try that uh, hazelnut. That's uh TBH, I think. And they launched at the same time that gooey did, but I don't see as much about gooey as I do TBH now. Um, but yeah, I mean, if somebody can go after Nutella, um, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. Cause like you think about like the taquito, it's like, it's probably healthier, like to just have like white breast chicken meat in there versus like hemp like in terms of like just totally cut like total calorie count but like if you are trying to do like a plant-based diet then like of course you're going to go for that so just giving those people those nostalgic slightly better for you kind of options um you know in in snackable formats i think yeah it's a, it's definitely a, a great way to go i'll i'll send a picture they look they look pretty solid the branding looks great um and i thought like again like for a frozen item. I just haven't thought about taquitos since I was like a kid. Um, so I'm excited to, to revisit that for sure. Um, yeah. And then with, with regards to parched Taylor, like I thought it was, uh, I really liked it. I thought it was like slightly sweet for me. Uh, but like once I poured it over ice and like the ice kind of did its magic a little bit, then I really liked it. 
Uh, and I thought the branding was just kind of like straight from the ranch rider kind of playbook and the look. Um, I think obviously like that vibe um, I like a lot. Um, and yeah, I really the, liked the product. The only thing I'll say on like the, which, you know, which is why um, CJ, I think we've always talked about, I really love Hoplark is like, I don't know. I have a pretty harsh stance at this point though. The only thing I will say is like, I, it has a good amount of like, I think carbs and sugar, which is fine. I mean, it's a cock, it's not meant to be, you know, void of all that. I just, I've been gravitating in my own journey, as you all have been listening over the past half a year towards more of the nine alk wine and nine alk options, beer, spirits, whatever, that have virtually non-existent calories and carbs. Um, I don't really see that as being something that I want to allocate it to, especially if I'm not drinking. Um, so it's something to be mindful of. Some of these drinks do have, you know, carbs, sugar, whatever, which I know is, is kind of the nature of the beast, depending on the product at hand. But I've just been personally, as an aside, a little bit gravitating more towards products that, that have virtually slim to none. If I'm not drinking, I'd rather not have that, but that's just my own preference. Yeah. Who would have known that starting this podcast would have made you into a healthier are you just- <laughs> we're gonna take all the credit You're, for that you know cam <laughs> let me give you and cj all the credit for my sober curious lifestyle that i now live yeah uh-huh. please uh-huh. please come come everyone all of our listeners come along on your personal journey with us that is what we're here for <laughs> um all right well let's dive into the topics uh, we have some good ones today um, really interesting article. Um, you know, we do um, our good friend Gabriella over at Modern Retail had a good one, kind of outlining um, how really high-end restaurants like Eleven Madison Park, like Death and Co, are starting to create kind of CPG lines. I think a lot of these CPG lines are creating at kind of these ghost kitchens um, and bringing them kind of to customers where, hey, eating every day or every week or every month or even. <laughs> a few times a year at 11 Madison Park is probably not financially very smart, um, but uh, it's great to be able to try some of the staples that make them, you know, these iconic restaurants. Uh, I was really intrigued by kind of the margins on here. I thought that they would be pretty solid um, on kind of building out these products that are obviously on the higher end, but Death & Co. was kind of talking about like operating out of a 10% kind of profit margin and really wanting to increase that. But I thought it was super smart. I thought it was something that, you know, might have come a little bit more frequently out of the pandemic, um, especially with restaurants kind of hurting. Um, And a lot of iconic restaurants, um, especially in New York City, going under over the last two, two and a half years. So I was just kind of interested to see this approach into these restaurants going into this direction. Um, I think like the one that I always think about has done it probably the best is Milk Bar. Um, obviously, like they're growing at a, at a much crazier clip. And I think they're focused more on CPG and retail growth than these higher end restaurants where they're more, you know, one or two locations. Uh, and then Levan, which is obviously like the monster cookies here in New York City, um, they have a pretty good frozen line as well. So um, just kind of wanted to get both of your thoughts on both like brands that are created out from like food service or from restaurants and, and kind of creating your audience there and then expanding out and what your thoughts are there and then kind of specifics around these two use cases with the love in Madison Park and Death and & Co. And um, Taylor, why don't we start with you? I have thoughts. I saw the um, Daniel whom um, whatever, he went on and did something on like, you know, one of the morning shows about uh, the ready, like ready to eat boxes that they create. And like the kits are like up to $200. I was watching this and I have to say, 
that to me is not a great example. I just do not, I think that concept, I'm not trying to be rude. Like it felt like it was created in a bubble of like, we're all sitting around in Manhattan in this beautiful place. You know, I think that people are going to spend $200 on artisanal granola. Like I, 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 no, like I don't see it like that. So I think like general, generally the concept makes sense to me. So I'll back up and I'll say, I think it makes sense. Like you said, Cam, I think, especially with companies like a death and co like they've created a following. Right. And I think if they have synergistic products that they want to sell online, like Dave Kaplan is a genius. I think he does great stuff. He's created not only like, you know, just a successful business, but also a really dedicated following. Um, so I think things like that make sense, uh, whether it's books, limited time products, whatever, to expand on what they're already doing within the bars and the retail accounts that they have, which I know is actually growing like day by day. I know that's a big focus for them. Um, so I think like it really depends if that makes sense. Like I think it depends on the person, the company. I think what they're doing on the Death & Co side seems to be very synergistic, makes a lot of sense. The 11 Madison one, maybe it's just what they're offering, but those home boxes to me just feel, I don't know, like hard to wrap my head around. I just don't foresee there being that many people that will purchase them and spend that much money, but I, I'm not the target audience. But so the answer is, I think it's cool. And I think it just depends on the company, but uh, on case by case basis. And it'll be interesting to see like what sticks, but generally I get the model and I get why brands are doing it. Yeah, I think it definitely has to resonate from you. I was like sitting here thinking about like restaurants that I used to go to, like growing up in California that I can't find here and, you know, none, none are really sticking, but like, I definitely know if I could order different options from there, um, even if it was a CPG line, um, that I definitely probably would participate in that. Um, CJ, what was your thoughts on it? And what's your broader thoughts on like these companies like a milk bar, like Levan, who have a built-in um, audience through their food service accounts and then build out CPG lines? Um, I think that it makes a lot more sense in theory than it is extremely hard to pull off in practice. And, and like, frankly, I think that's what this article is about. Like Death & Co is an absolute institution. Um, and, and, and this, you know, uncovers their, you know, doing, you know, about $500,000 in online stores at 10% net income. Like it's, um, I, I think it underscores just how hard it is to pull off the idea of giving someone an overall experience um, and underscores why these, why these, you know, more on-premise focused institutions or restaurant focused institutions are so successful is because they are 100% focused on giving you an experience within the confines of their four walls and like how entirely different that concept is as you rotate it through a set of suppliers, a set of co-manufacturers, a set of distributors, and then a set of retailers and hope that any part of that experience, which it, what's what makes up the value makes it to the end consumer. And I, I think you've just seen it time and time again, like, you know, bars, especially like I, I came across, I think Via Carada is trying to do, you know, a pre-mixed cocktail. Um, and I, I wouldn't, you know, be surprised if, 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 ever, if they're in the same issues because you essentially have to build an entirely different team. Like, so while the, while some of the IP can transfer over, um, you, you, their team is different. The team is different just to confirm. Yep. Yeah, for Via yeah. Carada. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's, um, just time and time again, you're, you're building an entirely different set of muscles. And, and you're also hoping like for it to be profitable, 
you know, when, when you are, when you are not, when you are not taking that, that experiential excellence and turning it into a phenomenal margin, when you're right back to making, you know, normal, if not worse than normal, um, you know, CPG margins because of, of scale via co-manufacturers, like all, all of a sudden you can't overwhelm someone with service and, and, and ambiance. And it's, it just suddenly becomes a lot more difficult in practice than, 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 and it makes a tremendous amount of sense on paper. Um, so I, I tend to be really skeptical um, of this stuff, just not because of how, like I, like I think Carbone's charred sauce is probably pretty good. I just don't think that that they have the the same set of of people and practices and processes that that can that can drive that that outcome through to the consumer via the normal channels. Um, so I think it's way harder, or way easier said than done. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I forgot about Carbones and, and Reos and all of those places too. Um, yeah, I, the one for me, like I think there definitely needs to be buy-in and there needs to be a strategy around it. Like Girl and the Goat, uh, I think is like probably one of the top three restaurants like in Chicago. Um, and Stephanie Izard's obviously really big from like Top Chef and, and the head chef there. And like she was at Expo East, right? Basically showing like her new, I think it's called like I don't know the goat sauce or a girl in the goat sauce or something. I'll have to look it up and I'll put it in the show notes, but like she's out there and I think they're proactively like building out a brand of sauces that you can get in the store. And I think like if the buy-in's there and you're going through retail and it's going to be kind of an extension and you're going to use the restaurant and the, the kind of like famous chef to build out the notoriety of it and then build out kind of really successful retail channels. Like that's probably a better play um, and a lot more, substantial than getting kind of a co-packer or a ghost kitchen and kind of making these one-off orders and selling them through your site. Um, but yeah, I think it, it'll be interesting um, to see kind of how the two verticals um, differentiate from themselves in the future. You, you kind of hit on kind of like in the end, like it's almost like it almost has to be a partnership, right? Because like good, good co-manufacturers, good sales processes, good buy-in from big retailers is almost always a function of lower level successes and momentum and and I, and I think the place where you get trapped is you go oh, okay this is going to work because it's this big name and we're just automatically going to get buy-in from retailers and buy-in from the consumers and when that doesn't happen retailers are very very sophisticated about not trying to sell things that don't sell <laughs> that's right. their whole business um so I, I just i just think that like you know maybe this works better when you do like you know, a full-on partnership with someone who has a lot of a, a lot of push capabilities um, in your in, in that particular vertical that any individual you know restaurant or bar might be trying to go into. But even then, like you only have so much credibility even as a large supplier. If it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think that is so funny at Expo because there's so many of like those top chefs that now have their own product. And like, I think like one of them was like, is like now partners with Justice or Just Ice Tea that we've talked about on the, on this. And uh, I know like there's a few that have like olive oil products out there. So yeah, I mean, if they're out there working and hustling for you and the buy-ins there, like it's great, um, but it's tough when it's just a name attached to a product. Um, all right, well, let's dive into Whole Foods Trends uh, report, uh, obviously kind of usually the big trend report uh, for the year. Um, instead of me going through each one, uh, I thought we could kind of just go through the one or two that stuck, stood out for us. Um, I'm a big fan of dates. So I was excited to see like date what they're kind of calling nature's candy. Um, 
get popular here. Uh, I love what the team over at Julie's is building. Um, that was one of my favorite products. I tried at Expo East. They kind of had a new, healthier take on like a raisinette that they were doing, uh, but with dates. And I thought that product was awesome. Um, and then kind of this produce meets pasta um, trend. Again, we, we were talking about loopy in the beginning and, and really the focus on like legume pasta a few years ago. Um, and now we're seeing more kind of like squash pasta and banana pasta um, and cassava root pasta. So um, kind of interested in those two um, trends um, to see if, especially dates, like if they can actually break through and become a mainstream thing, because I think since they are so sweet, um, and I always think about like dates best use case um, story was probably Lara bar. Um, and like that was basically like you just eating a couple servings of dates inside of a bar. Um, so I'm excited to see um, kind of how um, dates are kind of used as more of a sweetener hopefully instead of like monk fruit and stevia um, and some of these products moving forward. Um, CJ, let's start with you on this one. Kind of what were the, the trends that you saw and anything here that you and James have been talking about from kind of an investment thesis standpoint? In the, like, I both agree and disagree with the dates thing. Like dates is just, I, I, the dates thing is kind of no different than the agave syrup that was big like 10 years ago. I mean, the agave syrup was massive. Yeah. Um, until everybody figured out <laughs> that agave is just as insulinic as sucrose. Um, and like, hey, spoiler alert, like, like dates taste really good because they have sugar in them. Um, so like, I, I, I do think that like, you know, so from an investor standpoint, you know, great, sugar's addictive. You know, you know, but if, you, if, you're, if, you're going to, if you're going to get behind an overall trend towards um, consumers trying to, to limit their sugar, it just only works so long to... To, to highlight the date part until the, the actual sugar aspect catches up. Um, yeah, there's a little bit more fiber. Yeah, there's a lot of other stuff. And, and don't get me wrong, I think Julie's are delicious, but they're they're you know, delicious as a dessert, in, you know, in moderation. So yeah. I, I think, think it's it's probably like an education process of like educating the consumer of like, hey, eating a mango is a lot of sugar, but that sugar is different than eating like a processed piece of like you know something that's yeah, processed of sugar. So I think it's definitely like trying to get into consumers minds like that there is you know good sugar versus bad sugar that yeah. that is a tough that is a tough uphill battle though when people are just looking at what is my daily percentage of sugar yeah. in this but if you use if you use date syrup or date paste to bake a cake which is like an actual use case <laughs> defined in in the right. um the whole foods write up you're like okay that's still a cake yeah like, like it's you know so i you know that 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 more just amused me but i also think that julie's is a great brand um, the poultry revolution one, um, I think is, is interesting. Like this one kind of hits home for me because my, my great grandfather and grandfather had like big chicken farms. Um, and I, it is not a pleasant place to be like I, the, the chickens like aren't happy. Um, so the, the, the idea of like chicken welfare and, 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 you know, that like, as, as long, as long as the consumer can afford to take on that cost, like I'm, I'm pretty, pretty pro that. Um, and then the, you know, the retro remix is, is interesting. Like, I mean, these things are kind of, they, they run their course, right? Like, so like, do I think that Goodles is going to go put a huge number on the board in 23? Yes. Do I think Poppy's going to continue to grow? Yes. Um, do I think that three wishes and, um, and, uh, magic spoon is going to continue like, but they, they also can they can run their course and they, and, and, and they can only get too big. So like, I'm, I'm 
like the 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 question is which of these retro remixes are actually going to break out and also make it on every Kroger shelf. Um, and I got, and that that that's not rocket science, but but we'll, we'll see how how much that they can move into the into the the the, the mainstream and how long that um, that trend actually lasts. Yeah, that just goes back to your slightly better, you know, for you thesis, right? If it's if we're just making it slightly better for you versus better for you, I mean, that's where most of those items are coming in because at the end of the day, you are eating you know, bagel bite, you are eating mac and cheese, you are eating ice cream. Like it's still not necessarily healthy for you, but it's slightly healthier, you know, um, compared to, you know, the, the mainstays in that category. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, like, and I guess the last thing I'll say is like, it's really easy for, I think us, like, like in my head, like the, this idea of better dog food for your dogs is like pretty saturated, but you take a step back, it might be like nowhere close to saturated. Um, when, when you look at the overall sales of, of you know, the, the, you know, the, the normal kibble, like, yeah, just because everybody and I know in San Francisco uses like farmers <laughs> the stuff that, that I find, you know, my dog like that doesn't mean that like there's not you know a one step down that is somewhat price conscious but just significantly better for dogs that like I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year you know this year next year you don't start to see some major acquisitions from like Mars and Purina and, and some of those larger companies coming in and buying these up because like I, I think I think people are probably trying to, or the average person is now becoming aware that we're poisoning our dogs and the, and the, like the old, like, you know, Purina vet, you know, like military industrial complex where the vet would basically just lie to you and say, you should use this food because, because they're being paid to, is like kind of starting to fall apart. Yeah. That's like my theory on like every, pediatrician gets a kickback from big milk because all every pediatrician me, me, like thing I go into with my kid they're like yeah how much milk does he get I was like oh, who the fuck cares like how much milk he's getting what are you talking about uh it's like and it's the same way with like vets whenever they're like referring me to like a product I'm like this like just seems like there's some sort of like under the table like thing going on here uh Taylor what stood out to you I'm gonna take a guess and say it was the kelp trend but you let me know uh, first and foremost Y'all can shit on my Purina, but in keeping <laughs> with exactly my life, and I'm going to keep with my thesis over here, I feed my dog Purina and she is fine. Um, but, you know, if you want to, CJ, if you want to pay for my farmer's dog, by all means, I'll have her name Miss Linda printed every week on her food. I mean, I spent $250 to rescue the dog. I'm not spending $250 a week on the food. I'm sorry. Okay. Miss Linda, Miss, Miss you, Linda are, you are the best. I love you, Taylor. Miss, Lin <laughs> Miss Linda barked twice if you need help. <laughs> yeah, Miss Linda. Go ahead. I knew, I knew you were going to shit on Purina, and I'm sitting you know here. You, keep, you know you can't Purina. keep the dog. Like Listerine strips, right? Like that doesn't, that doesn't I feed her turkey, yeah. pita yeah. chips, yeah. everything but Listerine. I give her every, all, every more. Oh, guys, sorry. I have a one second, really funny story for the pod. I dropped my, I have two rescue beagles, Ralph and Miss Linda. One's 10, one's two. I was leaving for a meeting last, I swear to God, and I have to tell the story. So I was leading for a, a work meeting last week in Rhode Island, drop off the dog at the dog spa and hotel. Judge me if you'd like. Give all the dog food, Purina. Wing Wing, sponsor me. 
don't sponsor TJ. And at the end, I drop off all the bags of Purina, all right? I get, I have my own Taylor cereal for my trip. I, yes, I bring my own Golden Grams and Frosted Flakes with me on vacation and work trips. So I have a little Ziploc of Frosted Flakes and Golden Grams. I get to Rhode Island. I kid you not, I'm in my hotel room. I'm like, great, I can't wait to have the cereal that Cam and CJ don't approve. I then go in my purse, grab the cereal. What's there? Dog food. What I left her with? Golden grams at the dog at the dog hotel where she stayed overnight. So the vet, the woman calls me and she goes, I'm so sorry, ma'am, but like you appear to have left her with golden grams and frosted flakes. Um, do we feel that? And I was like, this is one of those moments that if the guys on the pod could only have heard that I literally left her with not even good cereal for anyone, like horrible not approved by the, the whatever. so anyway okay i digress anyway um <laughs> retro the only thing i have to add not the kelp not the chicken thing that's interesting though cj to know about your family's background my family came from stripping in vegas we have very different backgrounds um i like i like the i like the retro remix stuff i think i agree with cj i don't think all of this is gonna survive my question becomes and maybe i'm like overthinking this or underthinking this but like for example, you have all these companies that are doing like to CJ's thesis, like not fully better for you, but like better ish for you or whatever. Like just eat like half of a thing of mac and cheese, like have the sofas, just have a few bites or like have a little bit of fruity. I don't know. Like can people not contain themselves or like, cause like I assume that if you eat like a big bowl of vegan mac and cheese, like, is it a hundred percent better for you? Are you going to lose weight? Are you going to feel better? Like, I don't know. Like I would just assume eat the real stuff, eat less of it, but I'm, I'm not the right consumer, but I, 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 I don't, and this isn't like that big of a trend. Like, I feel like everywhere in America, people have bagel bites and mac and cheese. I just think we're all again, kind of talking in our little circle. It's like, it's all in the up and up. It's like, no, it's not. It's just these brands that are newer to market that are like $15 mac and cheese. Yeah. That's new to market, but everywhere in the country are people surviving office dopers and bagel bites. So I don't know. I'm done my rant. I have many rants today. Uh, yeah, I think just- like, that's amazing. I love it. I loved every second of it. If we just see like the, I just see like the Stover's box being like it just switches his marketing to like what is wrong with you? Just eat half of me and like that's <laughs> that's that's the new position. But yeah, no, I I agree. I think uh, a lot of this stuff is is definitely marketed to be more healthy than it actually is. Just eat half of me. Just eat yeah. half of me. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and, and we tend to definitely like see trends before they become mainstream. And a lot of those trends are not going to become mainstream at all. So it's definitely interesting to see. Um, I, I always call it like the mainstream chasm, like, okay, these are products that we know about. Cause like we're either investors or early adopters, or we talk to these brands all the time, all the time. And I, I feel pretty good usually talking to a brand being like, oh, this brand like understands how they're going to cross that chasm. Um, like some of these trends, like whether it's kelp or, or even like something like is avocado oil, like, you know what an uphill battle it is to get people to switch from like the oil that they're buying on a weekly basis that they're not usually like, they're not thinking that they're going to say like become healthier with that purchase. That's just kind of an automatic purchase they've been buying for like 15 or 20 years. So some of those things I think are probably more difficult. And I think, you know, Whole Foods just kind of like pushing products that they definitely want to start focusing on, but uh, it's always interesting to see kind of what they deem as trends um, versus kind of like what's already um, well, 
the kind of interesting thing, like, it, it'd be really fun to do an entire pod, like just looking at the Whole Foods trends predictions for like the last 10 years and like doing a retrospective because like I, I, I do think that there's like there's ebbs and flows of like periods of time when things in Whole Foods then also do a good job of going going national. And then there and there are times when it's like right back to whole paycheck and like, hey, that's never gonna to, to borrow your phrase, cross the chasm. Um, and like we're we're almost like coming out of a time where they were doing a really good job. Like the you know, and it's and it's that it's that barely better for you stuff that I think is gonna do, you know, and just like you know, fresher produce in general and and that and and, and we we might be kind of rolling over into a like I think it's gonna be a real tough look to get um, pulp with purpose. To, to 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 move into the mainstream, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna go try and see if I can find their, their top ten food trends for the last ten years, and I'll come to the next podcast prepared to speak on it. Yeah, we need like an intern for projects like that for sure. No, uh, that, like, that, that, that's fun for me. I don't need an intern. Like that's, <laughs> that's that's like I'll do that instead of some like important back office work that needs to be done. Like, I can't wait. For that. Um, um, no, yeah, I, um, I I agree. It's it's hard. It's kind of it's hard to identify what like what trends are going to cross that chasm and, and how the brands are going to position themselves well for that. And a lot of times the brands are not thinking about that, like in the zeitgeist of like what is in the immediate future. I think they're just thinking about like, how do we build out the brand and sprouts and whole foods and like where those consumers are actually thinking about that. So. Hey everybody. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We did have to cut it a little bit of short due to scheduling, um, but we will be back next week with a full episode and a guest. So stay tuned and have a great weekend.